Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Today, as we finish the seventh church, um, it's, it's one of the most commonly referenced churches in Revelations to these letters, and Um, I want us to just get into it. The title of today's message is, I Wish You Would. I Wish You Would. And um, what just like we've done with all these other uh, messages, what we're going to do is read through the entire scripture first together, and then we're going to break it down verses by verses to unpack what Jesus is really saying to uh, in this message. Y'all feel me? Buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> all right. Revelation chapter 2, verses... 14 through 22, it says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have no need of anything, And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich in white, uh, in white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness will not be re revealed. And I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the, the first part that we're going to look at today is... Defining your story. Define your story. This first verse that we see shows us something very peculiar. And before we get into it, I want y'all to, to understand this quote. We are not defined by our experiences, but how we reacted to them. We are not defined by our experiences, but how we reacted to them. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God says this. So this is Jesus revealing himself to this church in a very specific way. And I want us to look at and break down each of these specific words that he's calling himself. He says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation. So amen, y'all know what amen means? I, I don't like saying amen in church because it's just, uh, it, it's just another language of saying, yes, let it be so, or, or strongly agreeing with someone, or, or like saying like, yeah, that's true. And amen is, when, it's, uh, when he says, I'm the amen, he's, he's saying a strong agreement, saying that it's a very, tr he's a very true, um, he's a very strong truth. When it says the faithful He's describing himself as an enduring loyalty, an enduring loyalty. Faithful is when you're loyal 
even went through trials, even through fires. And then it says true witness. What this reveals is that he has an experienced perspective of seeing all things. So often we imagine God to be blind to what's going on in this world. Even that's an accusation against God. It's like, well, if God really existed, why is there all this evil in the world? As if he is blind to it or as if he doesn't see it. And this true witness, he's revealing himself as the perspective of seeing all things. And then he says, the origin of the creation. What it's showing is that Jesus was always eternal. But when he revealed himself to this world, he became 100% man while being 100% God at the same time. Okay? And so, all of this to say is that Jesus sees past all of our motives. Jesus sees past all of our show, all of our excuses. And I'm not just talking about our personal lives. I'm talking about the, the entire world. Whatever excuse the world can make at why it would refuse to trust in God or why it would refuse to submit to God, Jesus sees past all of that excuse. He sees past all of our reasoning. And he sees past all these things because he has witnessed and experienced all things. He's witnessed and experienced everything from the beginning of creation. Think about that for a moment. I mean, when you, if you ever find a person that is wise, they're usually older, right? And they've gone through so many experiences to where you can, you can literally feed wisdom from them because of what they've simply experienced. The Bible says in Proverbs that gray hair is a crown of wisdom. Just, uh, just again, saying how that, those experiences we have are able to catapult us forward so, to the point where we don't even have to have those experiences ourselves. As a parent, I really resonate with that now. As a teenager, I didn't understand. Have you ever said to yourself, well, I just have to experience it on my own? You, people giving you advice saying, well, you really shouldn't do that. It's like, well, I'm going to have to just learn on my own. Anyone ever say that before? I've said it before. And it is one of the, the most foolish things that we can do because people that have already done it, it's like doing a math equation and you putting a, an X here and then saying, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And you're saying, well, I'm going to just have to do it myself. I'm going to just do the whole problem and go through the whole equation. Even though you told me it was wrong, I'm going to just have to learn it for myself and do it anyway. Y'all get what I'm saying? And why would someone tell us not to do it that way? Because they already did all the time. They already experienced all the headache and said, oh, you don't want to do that. Trust me. But we said, no, I, I do want to do it. <laughs> but what they're trying to do is catapult us further to where we can actually go to another, a whole nother problem because we already have a solution here. We can actually get so much more done if we were to accept the witness that they are give, sharing with us. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so to see that Jesus is the origin of creation, that he's always been, he knows all things, nothing is new to him. Nothing is new to him. And that is why when his judgments are so true and at the, on judgment day won't beckon any argument. When it comes to judgment day and us facing him, 
whatever excuse we give him on why we we refuse to do x y or z that judgment what whatever he tells us is going to go supersede our reasoning because he's already he's already synced it and done it y'all get what i'm saying he sees past all that we're all of that and even when it comes to scripture i i there's a there's a very popular idea that you can pick and choose things of scripture that that we like or don't like. It a lot of people like the idea of like love your neighbor part of Christianity, but we don't like the the parts where it shows God being um, being a judge, where he where he shows himself uh, uh, having consequences for our actions. We only like the parts that is like love your neighbor as yourself and like the the parts that we can like make rainbows and butterflies out of the parts that just feel mushy gushy it's like i like that part but we don't like to choose the other parts and even when it comes to specific sins we we as people often try to decide which sins are actually real or not real i once heard a pastor say that if he was god he wouldn't uh he wouldn't make such and such a sin this is a stupid thing to say <laughs> because it is such limited reasoning. It's saying, I know better than God. I know better than my creator. Not only my creator, but the creator of the world. And because he said that this is sin, and I don't think it's sin, I'm right instead of him, even though I was born yesterday in a literal sense. He's always been, but I just got here. Y'all feel what I'm saying in all this? And... The reason I'm expounding on, on this idea of how just really trying to get a perspective that Jesus is who he is and that it is, he is good, he is great, he is wise, and everything he says is true. Not just because it sounds good at times, but because he has truly experienced it. Because the minute that he came to this world, the Bible, once, uh, Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways. And when Jesus came to this world and he walked this earth, he experienced the pains and death we experience firsthand. He experienced hunger. I mean, before he even started his ministry, 40 days fasting in the wilderness, he experienced, that's in, what, did the, what is that? Incredible poverty, incredible hunger. And he, he literally bore it on his flesh pains of this world, being crucified, being whipped, so that he was beaten to a point where you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. That's intense pain. I mean, my back hurt when I heard it this last week. It's been six days now that I'm still recovering and I get up, I'm like, oh man, I'm sore. But the way that Jesus dealt with pain was, was beyond our, our understanding. It's beyond what anyone has, in this room has experienced. And not only that, but he's also ex experienced loss. Do you, do you not see all the times in Scripture where his disciples were martyred for him? Do you, don't, do you not think that that breaks God's heart to know that someone was so faithful to the point of death? Even though it's a, it's a sacrifice for someone to be willing to, to do that for their faith, do you not think it still breaks God's heart to, to, to seeing and witnessing his people having to endure that? And there's so much more that we could go on, 
But the Bible simply shows us that Jesus experienced the weakness of our flesh, yet he did not sin. And so what does that show us is that he experienced all these things, yet he remained pure, he remained loyal, and he remained true to the Father. All that to say that when Jesus says to be like him, what it means is that we need to look at uh, what is within our control not outside of our control. And that is, just like our quote says, how, how we react to our experiences. Because our reaction is a, something that we can control. It's all about our reactions to the things that we cannot control. We have it so backwards sometimes. Even whether it's being, a, your upbringing is in extreme poverty, or whether it's a silver spoon. That's not something that you can control, is it? But how you react to that upbringing is what defines you. To where you, you raise with a silver spoon and be a snob, think you're better than everybody else. That's a, that's a character, isn't it? It's an ugly, ugly character. But there's people that are raised with a silver spoon and you would never imagine because they're so humble and they're so generous and they truly care about others. And then the same goes for those raised in extreme poverty. How we react to that poverty. Do we, do we grow bitter? Or do we do our best to better ourselves? Is it easy? No. But it's not about arguing which way is easier. It's about just understanding how our reactions to the things that we cannot control define who we become. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so... That leads us into our next part of the scripture, and that is, what do you want? What do you really want? Man, I, I feel like this is a question that is overly simple, yet we have a hard time answering it. What do you want? There's all these different ideas that we could think of, but if you were to settle on one thing, what do you want? Let's read the scripture. And, and as we go into this next text, being lukewarm is almost living while never feeling fulfilled. Being lukewarm is almost living while never being fulfilled. The scripture says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and have no need of anything and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to, become, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. You know, this, this circulation around the idea of being lukewarm, lukewarm, nothing special or great is ever achieved while being in a state of indecision. And that, that place where we refuse to decide, nothing great ever happens there. It says neither cold nor hot. 
this is uh, what this really is describing. This lukewarmness is describing a, a, a lifestyle of indecision, and it is it seems comfortable to stay in the place of not deciding because you don't have to bear the weight of responsibility. It is only comfortable if you're paralyzed by fear. If it is actually one of the most insatiable ways to live. You are never satisfied living in a place of indecision, of just always waiting, never really knowing. That indecision and indecisive lifestyle is, is, not, uh, is not as much of a crutch as it is a complete barrier that stops you from, from experiencing life. When it, when it talks about God saying, I, will, I wish that you were cold or hot. I, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. It, he's describing like this really intense imagery trying to get us to understand that staying in that place of indecision, letting fear paralyze us, it is not acceptable to him and not worth it for us. He, where in scripture would, would God, does God say, I wish that you would either choose to be holy or live crazy in sin? He is saying, I wish you were hot or cold. I won't accept both. I won't accept lukewarmness. And, you know, when it, I, I feel like uh, the idea of sipping lukewarm water, I've, I've never understood that for years of like, it doesn't seem that bad. And when we moved into the house that we're at now, it was like in the summer and like the, all, there was all these problems in the house. And when I got a glass of tap water, it was literally like, I've never experienced it in my life. It wasn't room temperature, it wasn't hot, it wasn't cold, it was lukewarm. And when I tasted it, I couldn't even tell it was in my mouth. It was the worst <laughs> experience when it came to drinking water. And I was like, this is disgusting. And I immediately thought like, I would spit this out. <laughs> I understand what that scripture means now. But when it, when it comes to how it feels for us to live in this state of lukewarmness, the way that I feel like is a, is a good imagery to think of as far as comparing it is if you've ever taken a shower before and there's no hot water, it's not necessarily cold yet, but it's not as hot as you want it. And as soon as you realize what's going on, you're pissed. You're like, who took the hot water? I, I would rather it just be hot or cold, but now I'm in this like space of not being satisfied even just with a shower. After a long day, I can't even be satisfied with a shower. I like taking cold showers. It, it, there's times where it's like, I like the experience of a cold shower. It feels refreshing. It, it energizes me. And then there's other times where I like a hot shower. It's like, ah, you just stay here for... A long time. But a lukewarm shower, there's a point where you're like, you, you just like cut your losses and you just try to hurry up and get out as fast as possible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? See, when we choose to live a life of indecision where we're, we're consistently refusing to make decisions of the direction of our life, we keep waiting and waiting because we're too afraid of the consequences or the responsibilities. It, it is like that uh, similar to that shower, it's where it's like, you just cannot be satisfied. You will not be satisfied. 
until you just make it hot or cold. You make a decision. And when I think about what we offer to God, it's, it's almost funny that we consistently offer to God partial or almost commitments. Y'all notice that? It says even in Scripture that the people of Israel, um, after time would elapse and they would, their faith would weaken, whenever they would go through the motions of offering a sacrifice to God with animals or whatever, they would just offer the animals they didn't want, the animals that were, uh, were blind or the animals that had like um, limb damages. It was like animals that they wouldn't want anyway. And so they would offer it to God. But they're still, they're still making offerings to God. And God tells his people, and, and he talks to them and says, you wouldn't even offer that. Try offering that to your government officials and see how happy they would be. <laughs> he said, I, I won't accept your, your blind offerings. I won't accept these sacrifices of maimed animals. I won't accept it. Try offering that to one of your government officials or one of your friends. And when I think about this idea of lukewarmness, what he's trying to get us to understand is our heart issue. What, what marriage would you say yes to if the person proposed to you and said, I want to have you 50 weeks out of the year, but the other two weeks, I want to be able to do whatever I want. Just two weeks. See, we don't even offer that, that kind of percentage to God. We're like, God, you can have two weeks out of the year, <laughs> but the other 50 weeks, I want to be able to do whatever I want. God, you can have Sunday morning. <laughs> But the rest of the time, I can do whatever I want. And this isn't an imagery of like, oh, uh, of sinfulness. I'm, I'm not even talking about just sin. I'm talking about just blatant disregard for God being active in your life. Let's, let's go past like the idea of struggling with sin and look at just the idea of, of really God being in your heart. God being with you throughout your day. God actually being experienced in your life. And we wouldn't offer that to a spouse. Well, people do after they say yes, but we wouldn't offer that to, as a proposal. We wouldn't even offer that to bosses or political leaders that we don't even like. There's people that I've heard talk bad about a governor or a house of representative or a council person, but when they're at a mixer or something, they act like they're uh, smiling and like, oh, it's so good to meet you. And they hate their guts. They hate every political decision they made. But in, when it's in front of each other, it's like, oh, well, look, it's them. Look, oh, hi, like I'm so-and-so. And they go through the motions of let me rub your back. And maybe they'll like me and do me favors. But we can't even do that with God. Our back rub to God is like, well, God, I showed up to church today. God, I, I didn't kill somebody today. And we expect God to rub our back too. I rub your back. I didn't do anything too bad. So now you got to rub mine. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And all that this scripture is speaking to us is that that's not right. God, God uh, shows himself to have the emotions that we experience. God shows himself to have anger, to have love, to have these feelings that we do. And even though we can't hurt God, we sure can disrespect what he's done for us. Y'all feel me? And going back to even just living that the insatiable lifestyle of indecision, 
You are only fooling yourself. You are only fooling yourself when you try to stay in the middle. When you really need to confront your life and what you really want. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? He says in this word, You say you are rich and become wealthy, and you have no need of anything. But you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's look at what, what he's saying. And you have no need of anything. That you are rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything. Isn't that what we think is a positive mentality? Oh, I don't need anything. I'm fine. And here, Jesus is saying, you think you're fine, but you're actually miserable. What he is showing is that the moment we stop desiring to grow is a moment that we've actually become miserable without even realizing it. The moment that we become content in the sense of what we experience with God, because this is all referencing his, their relationship with God, right? The moment that people uh, are satisfied with what they know about God, oh, I already know enough about God, I don't need to learn anymore, he says, you're poor, you're miserable. The moment that we say, oh, I'm as close as to God I could ever be. I, there's no, I don't need to grow anymore. I've already done all of that. I don't need to fast again. I've already fasted three years ago. I don't need to read the Bible again. I've read it once. He's saying you're miserable and poor, and you don't even know it. You've become satisfied in a place of a cold heart. And you say you have no need of anything. When deeply our souls are crying out to God and need God, but we quiet it down and harden our hearts to make ourselves fool ourselves into believing, I, I don't need anything else. I'm fine, God. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Decide what you want. Decide what you want. Decide what you want. I feel like there's a lot of you who have been having these these thoughts and decisions that have been needing to be made just within like your life, like practical decisions that you've been thinking about, that God is speaking to you today and you're like, wow, that I know exactly what I need to do. And then there's those of us that we've been in that place of sitting on the fence with God and he's calling you out. Not in a way that says, uh, look at you, you miserable, poor, naked person. <laughs> but he's saying, you don't have to live in this miserable state of being on the fence. I'd rather you just choose. I mean, talk about a free will choice. My, my wife and I, she tells me uh, when we talk about our marriage, I've told her before, even though I'm a Christian and, and I have uh, deep moral values, um, I told my wife, I, I don't have to stay married to you just because I'm a Christian. I want to stay married to you. I don't, there's, divorce isn't in our vocabulary, but I want to stay with you. I want to be with you. And even when it's hard, I want to work it out. And she tells me, you don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> but y'all get what God is trying to tell us? He's saying, you have a choice. I, I want you to want to be here. And if you really don't want to be here, then good luck. But he's saying, what do you want? What do you want? 
And I feel like the best imagery that I would choose to describe how our faith should be lived is is really chasing it with as fast as we can. And once we catch it, whenever that is or however that looks, just beating it to death. Just beating it to death to where there is no question about what we were willing to give. In my marriage, that's what I want my marriage to look like. I want to just beat my marriage to death with how good I could be as a husband. As being a dad, I want to just chase that. I want to be a good dad, and I want to catch that, that idea or whatever it is about being a good dad, and I want to beat it to death, giving every exertion of my body my soul and achieving it. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And the biggest thing that we have to be able to do is decide what you want. What do you want? And once you decide, chase it. Chase it down like you're an, an animal running after something and beat it to death. Look what Jesus says. He says, I advise you to buy. And he has this imagery of all these different things to buy. And so many times we see that in Scripture and we're like, well, I don't know what the hell that means. I'll just move on. But look at what he, each of these things are. He says, I, want you to, I advise you to buy gold refined by fire, white garments, and eye salve. Let's start off real quick with when he says, I advise you to buy. What does buying imply? It implies work and buy-in. Work and investment. It, it, even if he was talking about money, it's, it, it, which he's not, he, money is achieved through our works, our hard work. And, and through... And, uh, and when he says buy-in, it means you want it. You ever bought something you didn't want? Most of the time, we buy things that we want. And what do we say it is? Well, it's an investment, really. I bought this espresso machine. It's an investment, though, really, because think of how much money I'm going to save. <laughs> I love how every sales tactic is to make you think that spending money is actually making money. <laughs> If you ever have a sales guy talking to you or a car dealer talking to you and they tell you that you're going to save money by spending money, they're lying to you. <laughs> it, it's all to trick you. You're not saving anything. <laughs> well, I really should pay $300 more a month for this car because I'll be saving $40 of gas every month. Does that make sense? But we do it. Anyway, that's, that's not our money talk for today. So he's implying work and investment, a buy-in, wanting to want it. When he talks about gold refined by fire, what he's referencing is something that's more valuable than anything earthly. Because Jesus makes it clear that everything in this world will fade away. Rust, uh, uh, sorry, rust got up. <laughs> rust. <laughs> rust and moth will destroy everything in this world. <laughs> Rust and moth would destroy everything in this world. And when he says, buy gold from me, refined by fire, what he's saying are things more valuable than anything on earth. He's talking about putting your heart in the valuable things that stand past the things of this world. Like love, like hope, like faith, like peace. 
He's saying, buy from me these things, chase down these things, because they've been refined by fire and they will still be valuable after this world is gone. And then when he says white garments, what he's, what he's saying, the Bible says that to put on righteousness, to, like a coat, to literally take off our rags of sin and then put on righteousness as our garments. And so when he's telling us to buy from him white garments, he's saying put on righteousness in your lifestyle and works towards, uh, and work towards um, others while taking off the rags of sin. He's just saying pursue righteousness. What this church is facing, this lukewarm church that he's talking about, was a place of going through the motions of, of uh, worshiping God while their lifestyle didn't reflect it. They had a little bit of this, but a little bit of that. And he's saying, no, you can worship me and follow me and chase me, but you, have to have, you need to get gold instead, love for your neighbor instead. You need righteousness instead. And he says, I salve so that you can be able to see what he's saying is change your perspective. Let the blood of Jesus heal your eyes and your perspective and the way that you look at this world and submit our thoughts about others and our thoughts about life to Christ. In our time, I don't know if, I don't know how, you know, the world was before uh, our age or generation, but it sure does seem like our world is, is at a, at a peak of, judgmental, opinionated, and disagreements. To the point where if someone disagrees with us, we hate them. When, I, when it's talking about eyesight so that you may be able to see, what I believe is part of it is seeing others with the love of Christ. Even if someone disagrees with you politically. And I say that because there's a, there's a group of Christians that think if you vote this way, then you're not really a Christian. If you vote that way, then you're not really a Christian. And it's like this argument between people. And at the end of the day, Jesus died for that person on the cross, didn't he? Just like he died for you on the cross. And we have to change our perspective and allow the blood of Jesus to heal our eyes, to see people with the love of God. And to look at our lives with the perspective of a heavenly perspective instead of a worldly one. Why do we hold on to the sins of this world? Why do we hold on to things in earth and choose consistently earthly things over godly things? Because our perspective hasn't changed yet. We still have this mindset that this is our permanent home when it's not. It's our temporary one. And so we hold on to the things that we feel like will please us or give us assurance here instead of the, what will actually happen in eternity. He's saying, put on this, this healing touch on your eyes to change your perspective. So he tells us how after he tells us to choose what you want. Choose what you want and then do these things. And notice that he says, buy from me. What he's saying that we can bring all of our baggage, all the things that we struggle with, and we can just bring them to Jesus and it'll work out somehow, some way. It's not complicated. This is an amazing thing that God is saying, look, just come to me with all these things. But, but in order for it to actually have a change in your heart and your life, you're going to have to acknowledge them. Acknowledge them before me. Talk to me about these things. 
instead of just harboring them in your heart and have these these arguments with yourself in your head of your flesh and spirit battling with each other of what you're willing to do, but what you're not willing to give up. Why don't you just talk to God about it? And it says that he, buy from me, bring all these things to me and he'll, he'll help you work it out. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so now we're at our last point, which is take your stand. Take your stand. Change doesn't truly happen unless it's done with passion. How many of us have started diets before? <laughs> How many of us made a New Year's resolution and you didn't really know what you wanted and so you started looking on the internet because you didn't even know you wanted to make that New Year's resolution until you, you read about someone else's New Year's resolution? <laughs> and did you keep it? Most of us know. Why? Because it wasn't a change that we were determined to make or passionate about. We often go through these motions of thinking that we want change or, or when we're just bored with life rather than really wanting change because we're passionate about change. When I think back to the time that uh, I went from drinking and doing drugs every day to not doing it at all, there's a passion behind my decision. And there was, there was even a, a clenching of fist of letting it go. But the passion in my decision was enough to make that change last. Let's look at what this last scripture says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And what does repent mean? It means to change direction. It's not just this super spiritual word that doesn't mean anything. It's not a cuss word. It's, it's just, Lucy? <laughs> um, that's an inside joke. You, you have to be here early to, see, to get those jokes. Um, but it, it just means to change direction. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and I will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to sit, him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcome and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's, let's take a moment to recognize that when it says, Whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Why is it that he says that here, but when we read about Scripture guiding us into this pathway of righteousness or holiness, we look at God as this mean God that is putting, uh, putting a damper on our parade. He says, whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. God's true love is seen in his honesty. The world is created. Right? That, that, that's something that's not changed. The world is created and our world is sinful. Sinfulness is contrary to God. And that sinfulness, God doesn't change his character to cater to what happened in our world. And so for him to tell us that this world is broken and that he's made a, a way to fix it in our sinful nature, he's made a way to make it right. For him to just lie about it and say, no, just keep on doing it, it'll, it'll be fine, knowing that it simply is not a truth. Think about what truth is. It, it is simply not true. If I look at a building on fire 
And even though it may be uncomfortable to admit that it's on fire, if, it was, if I started the fire, even if it was uncomfortable for me to admit that, and I knew that fire was consuming the whole building, if I were to not go and tell all of my neighbors that the building was on fire because it was uncomfortable, that would not be true love, would it? But my honesty in saying, I know there's a fire, I saw the fire, and I'm trying to get everyone out as I can, and if at that point, if they choose to stay in the building after I told them that I was on fire, that's their decision. But if I were to not tell them, it would have, you would have, I would have been convicted of murder if, if, if that. But true love is seen in the honesty that during a crisis, right? When God is telling us that the world is on fire, that our sinful nature chains us to this world as it burns. And he's given us the key and saying, unlock yourself and run. And, and how do we reply? How dare you? It is not God just simply being mean or trying to pick on us or point out our faults, but it is him simply showing us and revealing to us what truly is happening and what true eternity is like. And so his honesty reveals his true love. And when he rebukes and disciplines us, it's because he truly cares of us. When we feel God working on our heart, it's because he values our heart. I could honestly say that God has grown me. When I first moved back to San Antonio, I really was getting into road rage. <laughs> Just like, I was, I was ready to fight uh, almost anybody that cut me off. <laughs> and there's a couple times where I opened my door, but they drove away. Cowards. <laughs> but God has really worked on my heart to where all of a sudden he, the Holy Spirit has been bringing me back to a place. I barely drive now, so maybe that's why. <laughs> Bring back to a place where instead of wanting to get out of my car and fight, I'll just say in my head, what an idiot. <laughs> but then God will say, you need to pray for them. I love that person. See, I could take that one or two ways. Gosh, God is always trying to work on my heart. Why would he want to do that to make me a better person? To make me a better pastor, a better father, a better leader for my family? See, he disciplines in the direction of love to help us to grow better. Y'all feel that? When my kids are acting up, I, part of me wants to discipline my kids, not because I want them to be perfect, but because I want it to be easy for other people to love them too. Isn't it hard to, to love bratty kids? <laughs> The kid that's going crazy and like, control your kid. Let me just be the first to say that it's not that simple, okay? <laughs> it's not at all. And how dare you? <laughs> but I discipline them because I love them and I want them to be able to, to be loved by others. And I want them to be able to have good character, to be successful, to do great things. And that's why I discipline and correct them. I can understand so much better now as a father... God's discipline and love. When it says be zealous and repent, it's, it's being enthusiastic about the change in your direction or it might not, you might not really change direction at all. Think about how many people start those diets and they're done within 30 days. It's over. How many people started working out and it's over? How many people started wanting, uh, wanting to read the Bible and it's over? 
How many people started X, Y, Z? I'm going to go to church every Sunday this, this year, and it's over. When you are making this, this place of deciding what you want and taking your stand, you need to mix a passion with that, that change of direction. And you need to understand very clearly of why you're going to make that stand. Why are you going to raise those kids? Why are you going to stay with that spouse? Why are you going to go to church? Why are you going to really do that? Why are you really going to do this? And you need to believe that why so much to where it burdens your heart. To where you can actually feel goosebumps when you think about it. Where you get, you literally feel your body temperature rise and get hot because it makes you passionate. And if you don't feel that kind of passion, then you need a better perspective of your why. Jesus says that he's standing at the door, and he who hears and opens, he'll come in and dine with them. Jesus is describing himself as this incredibly patient being, that he's waiting at the door to, for you to come out, that he, he's literally calling out to us. I mean, if a salesman did that to my door, I would lose it. Here Jesus is, says that he's waiting and even though some of us have heard him, notice that it says, he who hears and then opens. Two actions. That, but when we hear him, he still waits at the door. He's still waiting and patient. But, and then when we open the door, it says that he'll come in and dine with us. He is poised and ready to impact your life and your soul with a genuine supernatural friendship. I mean, the way that Jesus describes himself waiting for us is the most friendly display that we can imagine. And it says that he who overcomes will sit with me and dine with me. Think about think about everything that Jesus really is. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is freedom. Jesus is peace. There's so many descriptions of, Jesus, of who Jesus is. And we can find them in scripture. And, and here is saying that he will come and he will live inside of us. And everything that, that is available to him, he makes available to us. So if you do need freedom, he says, I'll come into you and give you freedom. If you need salvation, he says, I'll save you from this. If you need peace, he says, I'm the Prince of Peace and I will live within you with that peace. But we have to open the door. And when it describes, when it describes dining with you, 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 only eat, you can only eat with someone, a, a meal with someone that you can mildly trust. I'm not talking about like uh, work friends and it's at like a lunch cafeteria table. I'm talking about letting into your home and sitting down and eating with you. The way that he describes that, that is a, a trusted friendship that has valuable time with one another. And that's the way God says he wants to spend time with us. And I want you to ask yourself, what is it that you need from him? Maybe, is that what has been holding you back from making a stand for what you would really want? Is not really knowing if Jesus would make available what you need. When I, the, the thing for me, like I shared earlier, was drugs and alcohol. 
every day. Why? Because it gave me a peace, a false peace, but a peace that helped me to make it to the next day. And when God showed me that I could trust him with that peace, I had to make it stand and decide to trust him. He made it available and I had to make a stand to trust him to really follow through. And he did. I tried everything else, but until I tried Jesus, I didn't need anything else. And so I want you to make your stand today. I want you to make your stand and I want you to find a passion that boils inside of your heart to where you can feel it when you, in your veins when you talk about it. And I want you to chase that down and beat it to death so that you can react the way God has called you to react to the things that we experience in this world that we can't control. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I believe that God is really calling us to a closer place today. He's calling us to grow. And there's a lot of different needs in this room. But I want to start with this one. If you are at that place where you need to make the decision spiritually to stop being lukewarm, that you want to make a decision to be hot or cold, and you want to decide to be on fire for God. You want to chase after Him. And you want to make it real. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So right there to yourself, I want you to talk to God. Just have a moment with Him. And tell God, today is the day. I trust in you, and I'm not going to turn back anymore. I'm not going to hold on to the past. I'm not going to hold on to what ifs. I'm not going to hold on to maybes. I just want to chase after you. And if I fall, I'm going to get back up. If I don't do my best, I'm going to still keep going. And whether I can walk or whether I can run, I'm going to chase after you. I know that you died on the cross for me as well as for the world. And I know that you rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life, the Savior to my soul, and help me to see and understand what it is like to be a friend of God. Now, if you're here and God is just putting on your heart to to, to rise up and make a decision about other things. And you just feel like it was just exactly what you needed to hear today and God was just confirming it over and over as we continue to go on. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen, I see all your hands. So you, right now, what you showed is that you believe something in your heart right at this moment, that the Holy Spirit is talking to you. And the, the point that you feel like this is confirmation to something that you've already been dealing with, 
what it shows is that the Holy Spirit was talking to you before you ever came to church today, which should show you that you are actually closer to God than you realize. God has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. That he's actually so much closer than you can even feel. And now he's just telling you again what he already told you before you got here. And so to yourself, just say, I get it now. And tell God, I'm going to make my stand right now. Right here. And you need to figure out your why and put passion to this change of direction. Whatever it is, put passion to it. And you chase this down and you beat it to death. You give it everything you got because God was already speaking to you before you got here and he confirmed it again and you know it. So trust him. Just trust him and run after this thing because God is with you. God, I thank you for everything that you're speaking to your people today. You're confirming so much and you're showing people that they are more sensitive to your Holy Spirit than they realize. I pray that you finish what you started and that you solidify your truth in people's hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.